listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. On October 2nd in 2006, in a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, a young Amish boy looked out the window and he saw a blue pickup truck backing up the gravel driveway. Uh, some of the kids recognized the man in the truck. His name was Charles Roberts. They knew him because he picked up milk from their farms. So Roberts backed up, parked the truck near the porch, walked into the front door, stepped into a schoolroom which was filled with more than 25 children doing their lessons. He was wielding a gun. He ordered all the adults and all the boys to leave. A lot of you who are old enough will remember this story because even though it was a while ago, that day five of the girls who were students there lost their lives. Others were horribly wounded before Roberts then took his own life. It's an unbelievable story of heartbreak and loss and grief. It's one of those things that you never see coming and, and the Amish, while well, they're a peaceable people, they didn't cause it and they didn't deserve it and really there can never be justice done because well you can't bring back lives lost so how do you deal with something like that i mean you just you can't just shrug your shoulders and walk back from it there's no one to beat up no one to punish I and mean, this kind of thing tears you apart like from the inside takes up residence in you and that stuff that stuff doesn't heal so easily I mean I think we all know that sometimes devastating things in life happen and there's just no simple or clear path to fixing it you can't just make it go away over the years you know I've seen hard-working men good men who could fix almost anything strong confident independent guys the kind of person everybody would call a success and then out of the blue, they get hit by a circumstance or, or by an illness, and it practically it, it, it incapacitates them. Maybe it was, uh, you know, a guy who could talk really well, like, like a born salesman, you know. He could sell refrigerators to Eskimos, and then he has a stroke. And now he can't put more than two words together. And the worst part is, in his mind, he's as clear as he's ever been. He just can't get the words from his head out his mouth and he feels like he'd rather just be here, buried. Or maybe it was what I would call a fabricator, you know, one of those guys that can make or fix almost anything with their hands. And now because of rheumatoid arthritis, which just got worse and worse, Mr. Fix-It, always strong, always capable, amazing, can't make his hands do what he once did and in some ways it's almost worse than death. It's such a loss. And the list of those types of things goes on and on. I think you all know what I'm talking about. And it's not always a shooting or a disease. Sometimes it's a, a betrayal or divorce or someone you love takes their own life. How do you deal with that? Or maybe it's as simple as falling into an inexplicable depression that just seems to have mastered you and people are telling you, stop it, suck it up, get over this and move on with your life. But you just, you 
can't fix it. And what these things do to us over time is they drive fear, despair, maybe both deep inside us to the point where we feel, we feel like we simply, in our deep, deep grief, we, we can't breathe. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to church. Those were encouraging words, weren't they? <laughs> I know they were pretty strong and sounded fairly negative, but the truth is, in this series, we're talking about how you deal with life in a broken world. And the bad news is, we live in a broken world, and we can't avoid that. Would you all agree with that? We're going to experience heartbreak, we're going to experience pain, we're going to experience problems. The good news is, of course, as we've been learning in this series, through these talks that we've had so far, in the first three talks, which, by the way, were great, is that with God's help, and this is just so true, though heartbreak and hardship are not always avoidable, they're always addressable. In other words, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how bad things look, you or your life, it's not damaged beyond hope. And we talked about, in this series, ways of finding how we deal with with fear of the future, of things that may happen, oftentimes never do, but they may happen. We've talked about the anxiety that we feel in the present, and then last week we talked about the idea of, of how we deal with stuff that comes up from our past. All great talks, by the way, which you haven't heard, you should listen to those. And I think if you do, or you have, you'll find that the common denominator, like the thread that's woven through all of them, is this, it, it, it's this idea that first you have to turn to God. Of course, I'm going to say that because this is a church and we're, you know, preachers. And so we, we, we're going to communicate that. But, but you, do, you need that God connection. But then, and this is what's key, you turn first to God, you connect with God. But then you have to turn into and face whatever it is that you're dealing with. Not necessarily to fix the problem, because some problems, and you know this, they're not fixable per se. Like, you can't fix a betrayal. Somebody betrays you, it just is what it is. But you can, with God's help as you face it, you can acknowledge it, because you can't deal with what you won't face. And these things, all of them, and all of them, all of us in here listening, you guys in Middleville, Delton, or if you're watching online, you... I mean, all of us know what it's like to have these things that are like enemies in our lives. It might be people, it might be circumstances, it can be all kinds of things. But they want to beat us down. And those who are followers of Jesus have to understand this is something that Jesus calls us to. This is like a higher calling for us. And that is that we have to face our enemies. Whatever it is, somebody wounded you, somebody angered you, somebody at work, something in your life, whatever it is, you cannot ignore it. You cannot deny its existence. You have to turn and face into it. Now, here's the kicker to this, though, because Jesus' followers know that actually the way of Jesus, this is not as simple as you might think, because he tells us we have to face our enemies, but we have to do it. For example, if the person who's acting like an enemy is somebody who's wounded you deeply or some circumstance, whatever it is, Jesus tells us if it's a person, not only do we have to turn and face them, we have to, we have to love them. These are the words of Jesus. You're familiar with these, right? Jesus says, I tell you, love your, would you say this word out loud with me, please? Okay, thanks for the three people that said it. Let's try it again, all right? Jesus says, I tell you, love your your enemies and pray for those who persecute. This is, we're not called just to face into it. We're called to actually 
turn, face those who act as enemies in our lives, and love them. If, for example, the enemy that you're facing is whom we call spiritually the enemy, a, a, a spiritual dark force, we believe there is a devil. The Bible tells us we don't turn and run from him. It actually tells us in James 4 that you resist the devil. In other words, you can't run from him and resist him. You, resi- you face into whatever it is that's happening in your life. You resist him, and he will flee from you. And, and, and you, you, can't, you can't ignore your enemies. You can't act like whatever it is that's happening in your life. And this is where many of us struggle, I think, is that it's like whether it's cir- sickness or some other kind of circumstance, anything, trauma, emotional stress, somebody wounds you, whatever it is, first, with God, you have to face it, and then you process it. This is what it says in Romans chapter 12. It says, don't be overcome by evil. But it doesn't say, and do that by running away from it. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but what, what are the next two words? You overcome evil. You overcome evil with good. Nobody ever deals with issues in their lives by ignoring them, not long distance. It never works. And so I want to just stop and make this as personal as possible. This is my hope that, you know, if you're, however you're listening to this, maybe you're on a walk listening to a podcast of it, but I want you to think about your own life. Now, this is, I'm just asking you to do that, everybody. What do you have in your life that's kind of like an enemy? It could be circumstances. It could be a negative thing happening economically. It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody in your family you feel has just repeatedly wounded you. It could be all kinds of stuff. I want you to think about where you feel wound, where you feel pain, that perhaps, if you're honest, you're not fully facing into it. You're kind of like leaving it back here. You're trying to ignore it. You're trying to avoid it. Let's just not talk about it. Let's just go away. See, the thing about evil and enemies, even if they're people in your family who aren't trying to act like enemies, but they're wounding you, those things don't go away. Have you noticed that? You can try to ignore it. You can try to act like it's not there, but it doesn't just go, oh, well, if you're not going to pay attention to me, I'll just leave then. No, no, it just gets a stronger hold on you. You have to face into it. And in this last installment in this series called Breathe, I want to talk about how we face the grief that comes when we get attacked by something that acts as an enemy. Again, it could be circumstances, people, it could be all kinds of stuff. When you, when you hit a hard spot, you go into a, a place of grief. You grieve whatever the wound is. It happens with all of us. And what I want to talk about is we're going to look at three things that we should do, we should consider doing. I hope one of these will speak to you in some way in your life. When we feel battered and beaten or bruised by an enemy, whether it's circumstances or a person, these are things that I think that we should consider doing. And I'm going to just jump right in and talk about this. first one's going to seem like crazy, like stupid crazy that I would even bring it up. But the first thing is, is that you need to look... In the circumstance you're in, you need to look for God's presence. Would you say those two words out loud with me? God's presence. Now, as I said, I know this one seems stupid, obvious. Just just hang with me because here's what I think happens. I think many times we miss the presence of God in difficult circumstances because we feel that he couldn't possibly be there. I mean, I feel beaten, I feel battered, I just feel discouraged, depressed, whatever it is. I just feel this woundedness on the inside. How could God possibly be there in that place? He could, it just can't be that God would be there. Uh, Some of you are familiar with an Old Testament prophet by the name of Ezekiel. 
kind of an obscure guy in scripture and you don't hear him quoted a lot. But he's an interesting character because he was a guy who had experience both in times that were prosperous and times that were really bad. He was in Jerusalem, living in Jerusalem as a Jew with the Jews at a time when the occupants there felt like they were just like, everything was good. They were the center of the world, the, the center of the universe. The world revolved around them. They, they, just, they just felt every, everything was just like good. They were in the right place, kind of like Americans feel, you know, like we're the center of the universe. Everything revolves around us. And, and, and they felt like this is where God is, and this is where you experience God, because of course the temple was in Jerusalem, and they'd been enjoying the good life for hundreds of years until in a crazy twist of events, in 586 BC, a Babylonian army came, surrounded them, and there's no other way to say it than they just, they just wiped the city out. I mean, they didn't just attack it. They literally decimated the city. They came in, they desecrated the temple, they took all the stuff of wealth, any kind of wealth in the city, from the temple, all of that, and then they burned and just basically leveled the place, and then they took the occupants that were left that had not been killed hundreds of miles off to Babylon to become their slaves. Now, I just want you to think about this a minute because this is crazy. Ezekiel's people, the Jews, for them, the ones that were still alive, now you think about this, it was like the, the end of the known world. <laughs> I mean, everything had changed. You've got to understand, this country was not just occupied. It's not like they just came in and took over and said, all right, we're going to be in charge of the country. They came in and decimated everything they knew and then drugged them away hundreds of miles to become their own personal slaves. So here are all these Israelites, including Ezekiel, and they're now in Babylon in a place they're by a place called the Kabar River. They're by this river, and they're in just an incredibly dark place. I mean, you try to think about how dislocating this is. Most of us, over the past year plus, since COVID came to the world, have felt completely dislocated by it. We just, it's like, it's like we feel like everything's out of sync. It's not right. Think about what they were going through. Everything they knew had been wiped out and then they were drug away and their existence now was to be slaves for evil and dark people. These guys are depressed and despairing and angry and in denial. And probably the last thing you would have heard one of them say is, you know, today I felt the presence of God. No, what they would have said is, no, this doesn't feel like anything God could possibly be in in any way. This feels like hell. And then there's Ezekiel. And this is so interesting. I just want you to see this. This is his book. I'm going to read just a few verses from the very start of it. And it sounds like he's writing it. And let's just take a look. This is Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And so he says, In my 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles, the other Jews, by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And then it's almost as if he moves to the third person, or perhaps a scribe writes this. He says, on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. Now, I just want you to see this next sentence, because it says, there the hand of the Lord was on him. Now, this is stunning when you think about this. Ezekiel 
is in this place of total darkness with all these other people. What's crazy about this is not that they were in the place of darkness. It's that these people had always associated the idea of God's presence, his powerful presence, with the temple, with where they knew, with where they were comfortable, with where they felt good. And yet here they are. And in their mind, that's where you find God. But the shock of this is that here in this place of torment and despair and pain and difficulty, right there what feels like pure evil is the Lord's presence. I want to just read that last statement to you again. There the hand of the Lord was on him. Where? By the Kabar River where their life seemed beyond evil and dark and everything terrible. There the Lord, the hand of the Lord was upon him. This is a huge thing. The shocker, the unthinkable is that God's presence is there. Now he goes on to write about the visions that God gives him, but the, the, the crazy thing is, is that God seemed to be in a place where no one ever dreamed he could be. You know, uh, those of you who are followers of Jesus, I understand some may not be, and you're listening to this, and you, you're not sure how you feel about Christianity, but those of us who are followers of Jesus, I hear this on a regular basis. People will talk about how they experienced God's wonderful presence. Have you ever heard this expression? Man, I felt the Lord's presence today. Anybody ever heard that? Someone say that? I just felt the Lord's presence. Now you think about when we say that. When do we really say that? We'll say that commonly after a church service where the music was just amazing and it was throbbing and it just spoke into my heart like I hadn't been spoken to in a while. We'll say that maybe Rarely, but sometimes when the sermon really speaks to something that's happening in my life and it's like, I was aware of the presence of the Lord. Or maybe we'll even say it when we're on a walk in the woods and we just do, we're just aware of how glorious and beautiful it is or a sunset or a sunrise. We'll say, I felt the Lord's presence. This is what's fascinating. What's the common denominator in all those things? You were feeling what? Good. Good. This is an interesting thing. Because what we don't expect is what happens in Ezekiel's life. Is that in the middle of the mess and an indescribable pain and loss, right there is God's powerful presence. And of course, we all know that Christian theology says that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. I, I, I get all that. But when it comes to us talking about experiencing him, can you remember when you were in the middle of darkness where you said, I just feel his presence? I mean, you, you just don't, you don't hear people in the airport waiting to get on the air, airplane, you know, <laughs> like, I just feel his presence. People don't talk that way. It's, it's when they feel good that we sense that God's presence is near. But here's this, here's this thing, I think, and you just think about this, you don't have to agree with me, but I think sometimes we miss finding God because we think he can't be here in this darkness, now let me be clear, I'm not saying that he does the evil or that he instituted it or he commanded it to happen. I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is, is I think sometimes we miss God because we are not looking for him there in the dark place. What we're doing is saying, God can't be in anything like this. And so, God, wherever you're at, would you come and just get me the heck out of here? That's what we want, is we want to be delivered. And I think sometimes what we miss is that he is there. Now listen. And he is there to grow us and teach us and help us and open us up. He's there to do something that might otherwise never happen had we not been in this dark place in our life. And here's the problem. Mostly, we just aren't looking for him. We're, we're, we're asking him to get us out of there, but we're not looking for him in the midst of that. But there, Scripture tells us, in that place of deep darkness, there the hand of the Lord was upon 
Ezekiel, and I would just contend that in the dark places in your life, if you will look for him, there the hand of the Lord is upon you. In those places. And I promise you that if you find God in those places and you find victory in those places, it doesn't always immediately feel better or look better. But when you find God in the darkness, it will determine what happens next. Because if you look for him there, you experience him, and then you begin to find what he wants to do in your life, and you grow, and you see something amazing happening, or you just wallow and suffer in pain. You just think about how life has been over the last year. For a lot of people, it's been hard. And for all of us, it's been displacing at the least. you got the pandemic and crazy politics and social unrest and so much crazy stuff. But here is the truth. Wherever you're at, whatever you're facing right now, God's powerful presence has been with you all the way. Amen? It's there with you, and you look for him. I'm just contending you look for him in those dark places. And, and as we've gone through this season, I'm, honestly, this is how I feel. Many of us are going to look back, and we're going to say, I saw so much growth in my life, and I was so aware of God at work, even though I didn't like one bit of it. And we will look back and see that the hand of God was there with us and on us. And other people will look back. And they will just see it as like an old scar that never completely heals and it hurts every time it rains or it feels bad every time they think about it or whatever it is. And my question is, who do you want to be? Because it's when we look in the dark places for God, when we look for his powerful presence there, what happens is we see him, we find him, and we experience him doing what he wants to do in our lives. First, Look for God's presence. And then secondly, and this is going to seem like I'm going in a different direction now, but I'm not. You have to learn and allow yourself to grieve when you're in pain freely. Now, some of you may disagree with me on this, but I feel pretty strongly about this one. It is okay to be sad. It is okay to be sad. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happened if it's a combination of modern Christianity, which is combined with, particularly with the Western culture, but it seems to me that it's become unthinkable for people to actually freely grieve and openly grieve about the dark part of their life because people around them are like, what's wrong with you? You're a child of God. If you're a Christian, you feel like you're guilty. Like, I can't even be honest about the fact that I feel broken right now. My life feels like it's really, it's just a wreck. I think there's something that says, you can't... You should have the joy of the Lord as your strength. And, and you, there should, you shouldn't allow that. You'd, if you just trust, if you would have enough faith, we have, we have all this. And then you have the culture on top of it. Because in America, we're told all the time, be happy, don't worry. Turn your lemons into lemonade. But sometimes there ain't no sugar. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes all there is is lemons. And we're sad. And we know we are, we know we're grieving, but we feel like we can't be honest about it because people will look at us and go, what is wrong with you? The joy of the Lord is your strength, or whatever, they'll quote some verse to us. Or they'll tell us, you're a first world human being, you have so much going for you, there's nothing that you should be disappointed in. Suck it up and stop whining. And so we keep it all inside. The trouble is, I understand why people say that because sometimes actually we need someone to say it to us, but the trouble is, is that when we short-circuit grief, we actually lose touch with who we are. And 
you may disagree with me on this, but I'm of the conviction that this very thing that's happened in our culture has made us bigger messes than we already were. Because what we do is, is we stuff it down and push it aside and act like it's not there. So instead of turning into it and letting it be, we grieve freely. We look for God in it and we grieve freely. Instead of doing that, we get busy. We go off and do things. We tell, you know, every time somebody says, how are you doing? It's like, great, couldn't be better. It's awesome. It's amazing. And we're lying through our teeth. We're not telling the truth. But we feel like we can't do that because then you look like a loser and everything's not up and to the right. But in real life, you hit dark spots and things can be painful and difficult. Come on, is that true? And I just, I just wonder sometimes if we, if we haven't been honest about this. It's like you, you, you can try to get busy and you can just ignore it and act like it's not there. And you can push it down and try to run away from it. But you know the old saying, it's like wherever you go, there you are with all the crap that you push down it's still there because you, you maybe haven't looked for God to see what he wants to do in the midst of this. And, and you haven't just been free to allow yourself to go, this is hard. This is really painful. This is difficult. And I think this denial of grief eats away at us from the inside. So let me just paint the other side of this because you're going, well, I've been around people that, you know, all they do is whine and everything. I get that, okay? I'm not, I understand there's a time sometimes where you have to move on, but but the, the other side of what brokenness can do in our lives, where, where we allow ourselves just to grieve freely, if we'll allow it, is it'll help us. Be, it'll, again, this is going to sound crazy. Some of you are going to maybe write me emails. That's fine. Send them to dan at tvcweb.com, all right? But I actually think some of the strongest, healthiest people are people who have been honest about their broken places and process them. Because there's something that happens in brokenness that grows us that would not happen otherwise. And every parent knows this. You have to let your kid go through times of brokenness and through pain. This is, and I think if we'll allow this, it helps us become stronger. It helps us become more honest. It helps us become more humble. I heard a quote recently that I just loved. It said, sorrow has remarkable power to wear away the masks we present to the world. And that is true. It is true, see, because we're so worried about how we look. But people who are honest about who they are, they're humble enough to go, whatever you see when you see me, this is who I am. I heard a guy talking about a, a, a woman, who, a well-to-do woman, you know, very together, very perfectly dressed and put together and everything. She was in a counseling session and she was talking about this broken place in her life and she just wept and wept and wept. And so the guy offers her a box of Kleenexes because her mascara just looks like black streaks running down her face. And she looked at the box of Kleenexes and says, oh, I'm way beyond that. And what she was saying was, is I've gone past worrying about how I look to being who I am. And see, this is what I worry about is that we lose touch really with who we are. We just, I mean, we have to choose to grieve freely. And again, it's going to sound crazy, but I, I just want to say to you, the dark places of our lives, we view them, Americans view them as an interruption to our successful, busy lives. I think God actually wants us to view them, it's going to sound crazy, as a gift. 
I want you to just look at some scripture with me. This is fascinating. This is in James chapter 1. James, this is from the message paraphrase. In verse 2 he says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Why? He tells us, because you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open. It shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. In other words, let grief happen. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. And I'm just saying, sometimes I think we try to push it off and act like it's not there when we need to just, just rest in the fact that right now we're in pain and we're struggling and it is okay. Where is God in this? And I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to act like it's not there. I understand there's a time where you get up and move on, but I think most of us, we're afraid to even let it happen. And I think, I think that's a mistake. You look for God, you grieve freely, and let me give you one last thought. And that is, and again, this one's not popular, but it is that when you're in the midst of pain, and especially when someone has wounded you, someone has hurt you, 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 you have to forgive. I, 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 this is part of what you have to choose in grief. I wrote something down, and I just came up with this, but I think it's worth thinking about. Healing can begin before forgiveness, but healing can never be complete without it. I mean, you can start to heal before you forgive, but if you want it to complete, you just have to. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is just, guys, this is non-optional. These are the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, he says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, would you read the next two words out loud, please? Forgive them. Now, here's what's interesting. If you hold, What? anything against anyone. You forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That's a whole other talk where I've talked about the fact that I don't think that God's withholding forgiveness. I think that we're stopping forgiveness because we choose to not to. So you can start healing, but you're not, it's not going to be complete. So when you choose what can be unbelievably hard, it brings something so, so right into the world. I started this by talking about the horrific story of the five Amish girls who lost their lives in a mass shooting. Others were horribly wounded, and countless people, obviously all the families of the, the wounded and the, and the killed, were devastated by this. And you have to ask the question, and I did earlier, what happens with the pain and heartbreak of those who are left? I mean, how can someone possibly deal with... with you killed my daughter. How do you deal with something like that? Well, there's way more to that story, the nickel mine story, than I could ever tell. But maybe I can finish this by sharing something from Terry Roberts. She was the mother of the man who took the lives of those young girls and then took his own life. Terry and her husband lived right there in the community where Charles, her son, lived and where all these Amish people lived. She was out that day driving and she said, I turned on the radio and the newscaster was reporting that there had been a shooting at the local Amish schoolhouse. She happened to be driving to her son's home and she said, I got to the house and by the time I was at my son's home, I saw my husband and a state trooper standing right in front of me and I looked at my husband and he said, it was Charlie, their son. 
And then he said this, he said, I will never face my Amish neighbors again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your adult son whom you've loved and cared for and raised and done the best you knew what to do with, and then he slaughters young children and then takes his own life? I can't even imagine what that would be like. Well, that week, the Roberts had a very private funeral for their son. I can't even imagine the pain and the agony that they're going through and the shame. I think they were pretty much trying to hide out on this whole thing. But as they went to the gravesite, in the cemetery, they looked up. And from the sides of the cemetery, start walking in 40-some Amish people, families of the girls who were killed. And they surround them in a half, like a crescent shape. Not to talk to them about how bad it was and how hurt they were and how ashamed they should be as parents, but to love them. Every time I think about this story, blows me away. Terry Roberts says, love just emanated from them. In the middle of their agony at losing their own daughters, these followers of Jesus followed him all the way right into forgiving. And it was not easy by any means. Terry writes, I recall one of the fathers saying, I believe that I've forgiven, but there are some days when I question that. I love his statement because it just is, it's the truth and it's what all of us would have felt. But what happened in choosing to forgive? What those, what those Amish people did was to bring something in the world that we desperately need. Would anybody agree with that? It birthed a level of healing, not just in themselves, but in the Roberts that never otherwise would have been there. Some 10 years later, Terry Roberts had this to say about it. She said, I will never forget the devastation caused by my son. How could she? But one of the Amish fathers, one of the fathers of the girls who had been killed, Said the other night, she said, because they had developed a relationship. She said, he said, none of us would have ever chosen this, but the relationships that we have built through it, you can't put a price on that. And their choice, says Terry, to allow life to move forward was quite a healing balm for us. And I think it's a message, she says, the world needs. And so it is. I just want to say this to my church family, TVC. I so want you to be able to breathe fully and deeply and live your life richly. But what I know is, is that you are going to experience pain and struggle. It is unavoidable. But if we can learn... If we can learn in the midst of our darkness to look for God, if we can learn in that difficult place to openly and freely grieve and be honest about where we are and who we're at, and if we can choose forgiveness in our broken place, then, then I think we can breathe. We can breathe. So now at all our campuses, I'm going to pray. And we will sing a song, and the service will be over. But would you join me now in prayer? Holy Spirit, 
Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts where there's grief and pain in our lives, where there's a, a sense of, I just don't know what to do with this. Help us to find the way to turn to you. Help us to find the way to, to openly and honestly grieve and forgive. And we look for you because we know in all things you are with us. You make a way where there seems to be none. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.